Well, folks, welcome to the Noble Man Podcast. This is episode number 30. I'm Mike Young with Noble Warriors, and our theme for the month of October is The Noble Man Invests in Faithful Men. This is episode 30, and I'm pretty excited to have this guy on a Zoom call with me today from Florida. Carrie Bates uh, is a pastor that Stacy and I encountered when we first moved to Richmond. I think it was in 98, and uh, Carrie invested in me. And so I have just been forever grateful for that. And what an awesome opportunity to talk to him about investing in faithful men. So, Kerry, welcome to the Noble Man podcast. Thank you, Mike. Good to be with you. Proud for you and proud of you, brother. Uh, it's, uh, it's just so much fun to think back. Now, tell me, tell, tell us where you are in life. I, I, I know that your, your wife and your ministry partner recently passed away. So update us on that and then your kids and and just what life and ministry is like for you right now? Well, just a thumbnail sketch. Uh, retired, um, living in Florida, one child in Ohio with three little kids, another child in the D.C. area with uh, one and one coming. Uh, one lives near me, uh, coaches at a Christian high school. Uh, so she's really a blessing with two little grandkids. Uh, this COVID thing has had me kind of hold up. Yeah. Um, I tell people I, I've been to a lot of doctor office waiting rooms with the wife during her nine years of cancer, and I know what it's like to be in a waiting room. Yeah. And this one just like, uh, what did someone say? Uh, um, it's like a, a rut with both ends kicked out. There's just no end to it. <laughs> you can't get out of the ditch, huh? Can't get out of the ditch. Wow. So, but we we see light at the end of the tunnel as I. Uh, connect with you today. Yeah. This is the first time I've experimented with Zoom. I've done a lot of FaceTime over the last few months, uh, but I, I'm, it's my hope to reconnect with men in my church. I have really appreciated the fact that you have been over backwards to make your ministry a church-oriented ministry. Uh, there just seem to be so many that are parachurch, but right. you've really strived to uh, connect men in the church, and that's where my heart came from. Right. Um, Give you a little thumbnail clip of where yeah. I came from. I didn't know what discipleship was in the sense that you and I describe it. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad was a pastor, but we did have small groups. We called them Sunday school and discipleship training. And when I went off to college, there was something in me. I needed that connection of a small group. My high school didn't have FCA. My college didn't have it. And so I started a group of men studying the Bible just in my dorm room. Right. And that, though I didn't know what to do, it, it was something that our hearts needed. Right. And then after my senior year, I had one more college uh, season of football, but I had that window at the end of my senior year before my extra year uh, that, that a man found me that saw some potential. And all he lived for was reproductive evangelism. Now, what that means, he was trying to do discipleship, but right. discipling men to disciple men to disciple men to evangelize, more of the emphasis on evangelism. But he was the first one to exemplify to me the importance of a quiet time. Yeah. Um, and what was and his first name, just out of curiosity? He, he was Ray, Ray Sadler. Ray. Ray Sadler worked out of um, Park Avenue Baptist Church in Nashville saw me at a youth gathering where I was playing the guitar, guitar, gave a testimony, and he and I just clicked, and he said, come work with me one this summer. I'm going to go into full-time evangelism. And so I traveled with Ray for that entire summer, Wow! and I caught it. I, I saw what he was doing, and I caught it. 
He was always reading, always teaching, always learning something new. Uh, one of the fun books that he had me read was Life is Tremendous by Charlie Tremendous Jones. <laughs> and one of the themes through that book was uh, to be a leader, you've got to be a reader. If you're yeah. not a reader, you can't be a leader. Right. So that started me off. Ray would get me devotion books. Um, he was really big into waking up with music to prepare the heart for the day. And then he invited me after that one last semester to come back to work with him. And he was killed in a plane crash that November. Wow. So I, I had the heartbeat, but I didn't have a pathway. Right. And fortunately, one of our Baptist agencies, it was then called the Home Mission Board in Atlanta, was um, smart enough to have a department to help young people learn about ministry. And there was a man there named Barry St. Clair. And Barry was training college grads to become youth workers. Mm -hmm. He formed a group of uh, good youth workers around the U.S., four or five of these men that had a good track record. And he would get the college grad to raise some support and get this church to give a little bit of support and, and housing and be under that man's tutelage, under Barry's umbrella, under that man's tutelage for a year. And so I was in High Point, North Carolina under Gerald Ryle. Gerald was a good youth worker and everything fit together. Um, he was doing small group discipleship. He was on campuses with kids. He was having fun activities with yeah. kids. I said, gee, this is great. <laughs> it's every, everything I ever wanted to do. I, I never had a great youth worker. We had good youth, youth workers, but never had anybody that worked on all those cylinders. Yeah. Discipleship, fun, evangelism. And being on campus was easy back then. I'm afraid that's a uh, no, no way, no way it was a time yeah. in this day and age. But I, I just, um, Barry would come up with literature. We would work kids through uh, materials that would help them understand the scripture, grow in the scripture, meditate on scripture, share their faith, but also just let them be kids. It was at that point in my life, I started learning not all the kids are going to be disciples. Right. There are the few and there are the chosen. There are those that rise to the top. And it was frustrating to me early on. But as I grew, I understood that there is going to be that core group out of the crowd that we can move a little bit deeper, a little bit farther along. So that's where it really started was in the first couple of years after I met Ray Sadler and then Barry St. Clair. And uh, from, from there on, it's just been part of my DNA and ministry to look for in some places, it's been the guy. Right. In, in other places, it's been a group. Um, not long, not long before you and I met, I I did work in Portugal. Right. And in Portugal, it was training pastors with this concept. And their mindset, it was uh, a pastor knows everything, and he preaches from the pulpit, and the people do what he tells them to do. But there was no, not not a lot of cohesive interaction and interrelationship. Uh, and that was great. I was a big help to a lot of pastors to understand right. the importance of the small group and the one-on-one. -on -one. Prior to that, uh, in Memphis, as a youth worker, uh, I had two or three of my people, adults, that were helping me in discipleship that got so thrilled with what we were doing. Uh, two of the guys left, uh, one, guy, one guy left his business position and moved off to seminary to become an education minister who all his career emphasized discipleship. Wow. 
Another one went right from college in seminary and often to a pastorate who all his pastoral years, he's been emphasizing small group discipleship. So it's been great to see that happen and see some of those success stories. Yours is such an example of uh, making it happen and helping others make it happen. Mm. Uh, but thankfully, and sadly on one part, there aren't enough that catch the, right. the vision. Uh, but thankfully, there are those that do catch the vision and move on and keep on making disciples. So, so how do you you've you've hit on this thing that not everyone has the same level of energy, enthusiasm to or, or whatever it is to run and then go and tell someone else. I you know I think about I just my goodness I could get emotional thinking about this because I remember coming home. I can't remember what it was that I was bringing home and one of my boys met me at the door and he was so excited that he couldn't even greet me. His first motivation was to go get his brother. And uh, because dad's bringing something fun home. And so I just think about Andrew going to get Peter. And so we need to be able to find where are the guys that are going to be so motivated and bought into the gospel and the value of it that they can't contain it themselves and they have to go and tell someone else. So, so how how do you see those guys? Because it can be frustrating. You preach to the masses and we should do that. Jesus did it. He modeled that, but then there are a select few that, and I think that's a key to it, that they are selected that you invest in differently. So what, how do you go through that process and, and that winnowing process as a pastor or a leader to figure out who should I invest in? Well, in, in my humble estimation, I, I was blessed to have an opportunity to, to cast the net yeah. uh, out there um, and find and, and look and, and uh, put the bait out there to hope, hopefully find that one or two or three. In um, my pastoral years of experience, I, I did enjoy the material that Avery Willis developed called Master Life. And Master Life uh, became the standard for me in different churches and different venues. It is a little cumbersome. It takes a while to get through it. But uh, offering that as a, a way to help people master their lives, right. get them into the setting where they can be uh, attracted and uh, equipped uh, his series is a book of uh, four books that take you through the f- entire gamut of what it means to be a disciple and then ends up with the last book guiding you into how to make disciples. But it's the idea of watching in the crowd at, from a pastor's perspective, watching for that man or in some cases that couple, that group that are hungry and then pulling them to the side and starting to move with the movers and having the material that helps them move along. Now, you haven't probably met my brother-in-law. He pastors at Open Door Bible Church, uh, Baptist Church over in uh, uh, Chippenham area. Yeah. Uh, Just moved into a Methodist church recently, bought the Methodist church and put in a baptistry, so they're up and running. (laughs) He's he's very uh, excited about uh, navigator material called the Alongsiders. Yeah the alongsiders. And he says, as far as he's concerned, that's been one of the best pieces of material to help people be prepared to start discipling. I've not used it, but it's, you've got to have something to rally the forces around. I've used everything from uh, 
2.7 material of mm -hmm. the navigators, which I think is excellent. Uh, they're designed for discipleship, which yep. is seven little booklets that you can take people through. Uh, the survival kit uh, by Ralph Neighbor is still right. out there and available. Yep. That's just a little six-week course, but most people that I've taken through survival kit had no idea that um, about the depths of the Christian life and how to grow in the Christian life. So I don't know that curriculum is all that important. Uh, before I had any curriculum at all in Portugal, uh, we just used the Bible yep. and just had Bible studies, uh, did the serendipity Bible uh, guided studies. Uh, but it's important, I think, to have prayer, to have some kind of biblical foundation, mm -hmm. and then that fellowship of men sharing with men, yeah. a three-legged stool, uh, is adequate. Well, my goodness, there's so much here. So, um, yeah, I, I want to go back to the uh, Avery Willis material, Master Life, because I told you before we started formally here that I have sitting on the desk in front of me uh, folks won't be able to see this, but I have my four book set where Carrie Bates uh, at some point said, hey, I, I, I would like for you to be part of a small group study that I'm going to do with some guys and uh, we're going to go through Master Life together. And so I have in front of me my book with my notes in it. This was back when Stacy and I had first moved to Richmond. And uh, so we had two sons at that time, Tim and Zach. There's there's notes in here about them. There is uh, uh, here's one of my note cards for scripture memory. Uh, there are prayers in here, and so uh, this was powerful material for me. And, oh, and, and it still is. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so you you also mentioned Navigators two seven material. Um, you just you just read uh, Robbie Galati's book. Um, oh, what's it called again? Growing, growing, growing up. up. Yeah. So that's another discipleship tool. I think about the Christian Businessmen's Connection CBMC has got a tool they call Operation Timothy, that is fantastic. Yeah. It's online now. And, and so I remember, Carrie, it's probably going to shock you, uh, the imprint that you left on my life, but I remember you saying that there was really nothing magical about the master plan material, that we needed the word, those things that you just said, we need the word, we need prayer, we need fellowship, we've got to have these elements. And as I recall, you said, this is just a track for us to run on for right now to get started in uh, spiritual growth and development. And and so, guys, um, I think the other thing that Carrie said there that's important is you need something that you are comfortable with and that has been impactful for you so that you can lead someone else through it. Uh, you need to master the tool that you're going to use so that you're not jumping around from one uh, from one asset to another because that can become confusing even for you. What What are your comments about that, Carrie? I totally agree. And many times in a one-on-one -on -one relationship, I've just chosen the book for me to read with my guy. Yeah. Uh, one from my shelf. Um, not long ago, one of my disciples moved from Orlando to Dallas. And over the uh, following months, we went through uh, the master plan of evangelism. I, I thought of and that when uh, you mentioned the, the evangelist, that's uh, Robert yeah. Coleman's book is hard to beat. Oh yeah. And, so about every couple of weeks, we'd get together for a long phone conversation. Uh, we, we weren't FaceTiming, but we he was either uh, commuting in or commuting out of Dallas. And 
Um, we'd have a great conversation about the most recent chapter. Uh, I took a group of guys. Uh, I have my one of my yep. copies of Multiply. I uh, took a group of guys through Multiply, and that was an eye-opener for some good old Sunday school men yeah. that had never caught the idea of making an impact and that the whole the whole Bible is all about evangelism discipleship. Exactly. So sometimes you cater it, uh, you, you slice the cake for the individual. Other times you use the invitation uh, of the crowd to get involved in something specific. But it's out of those that you find you find the people whose hearts click with your heart. Yeah. Um, I've tried assigning discipleship, assigning a man to a group or a woman to a group. Uh, assigning just never did work. Um, there has to be a, a click. My right. personality, his personality, or the, the clash is so strong that it won't last. But uh, and, and two, uh, keeping some of these things that you invite people to, like multiply, right. keeping it to uh, six, eight weeks right. gives them an exit exactly. uh, possibility instead of having to go on and on and on. Uh, Master Life could be done. Uh, each book could be done in six, maybe eight weeks if you have a, a, a slacker, a straggler. But uh, over a period of a, a fall through a spring and maybe another fall, you can get through all of those materials. But you really have to have some people that are committed to it. Right. And you can find those, but they're not many. Uh, and there have to be some examples given. Right. Uh, like, like the two men that I mentioned from my youth ministry days in Memphis. Both of them had my example of what I was doing with young people on a weekly basis. Um, one of my goals was to get uh, every young person that was involved in discipling to try to mentor or disciple another young person. Right. So we developed our own little curriculum of them helping a junior high kid uh, get his quiet time going. So these men saw my example. I was fortunate to be in a church um, with Herb Hodges, who wrote that book, Tally Ho the Fox. Right. Herb exemplified a small group discipleship and evangelism. So these men saw, they didn't just hear it from the pulpit. They saw examples of people giving their lives away and reproduction. Um, I think most of the books that I've read in recent years by uh, guys like, um, um, what's the name of the fellow, Pastoring Men, um, Oh, pastoring men. Uh, uh, Patrick Morley. Yes. Yeah. Uh, books, books like that. They all focus on the pastor being the leader. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, it doesn't trickle down. It right. doesn't just happen accidentally. Pastor may preach it. He may talk about it. But if he's not exemplifying, modeling, then it just doesn't happen like it should. Yeah. And so that's uh, you are a pastor. Um and and so talk about that because I'm not I I I I am for the church I champion the church I invest in the church and I want to see churches invest in men, but um, I just want to reinforce what you just said because I can't say it as well because I don't carry that mantle I've never served as a pastor, but I I think there are lots of pastors out there who try to do all of their discipleship from the pulpit. And while they may preach wonderful messages that are high impact and full of truth, um, 
the closeness to the shepherd is missing there, and the the life on life. Uh, there's some there's some elements there that are missing, and so I, I just strongly encourage pastors, like you're saying, to be involved in some small group discipleship with some well chosen men. I think Jesus modeled that for us. Yes. Yes, and, and some pastors just don't see the possibilities. Uh, they haven't been stretched in a certain way. Uh, Herb Hodges was a great example. He would never go do hospital visits without a disciple with him. Yeah. And just th- think of the time that a pastor wastes in a car, driving to and from hospital visits, crisis visits. Herb was so good about going to get a businessman that could shake loose and go with him. Uh, one of the men that worked in the church building in, in maintenance, actually, just a great disciple maker, would go with him. Um, and those guys' lives were revolutionized by just having that personal time with the pastor. Uh, not long after those, say, few visits, Herb was comfortable sending the businessman right. to the hospital. Uh, he had trained him just by being there and witnessing what Herb did. Um, so I would say to pastors, look for those Free moments where you can hook on to somebody. It doesn't have to be a, a set a curriculum, but just breathing your life into that guy's life or that other guy's life. Uh, but I, I'm afraid in my ministry, I, I was I was not on the pastoral track uh, through the years of training. And I was on a youth ministry track right. and disciple making track. Uh, the last five years of my pastoral work, I was the senior pastor and sometimes the bulletin maker and uh, often the, the song leader. Right. Um, and so a lot of my time was spent in the office, which I regret, but there was always somebody that surfaced in the church family that looked like, and then became a disciple Yeah. and kept on. So you just got that. You've got to keep your eyes open and find that, that rapport, right. That somebody, I would have with somebody, somebody would have with me, and then it gelled. And it can be sandwiches, it can be coffee, it can be, but again, around that three-legged stool, the scripture or curriculum with scripture in it, prayer and fellowship. Yeah. Well, you know, I, um, I've i got a couple of memories that I'm going to share here of being with you at various times. And I don't know why I remember this, but I think I visited you when you were at your office at the, at the, the mission organization that you worked with. And there was, I, I don't even remember what the circumstance was, but you had a jar of peanut butter and you were fixing your lunch or something and you were diligent about getting every bit of the peanut butter out of that. And I think I even, I may be making this up, but I think I remember you saying something about your daughter would just get frustrated with you because, you know, why are you so tedious with this? But you, you commented, as I recall, about being a good steward and, and using up everything. But then the, the real point was, this is how we should be living for Jesus, using up every resource that we have just completely empty for the king. And then I remember a sermon that you preached where that was further reinforced, where you talked about the, the woman of ill repute who came and, and brought the flask of ointment and washed Jesus' feet with that. And when you talked about breaking the flask, yeah. you, you, you spent a lot of time on breaking the flask and the flask had to be broken so that it could be completely emptied and there would be nothing held back from service to the king. Amen. And uh, my goodness, that 
that was 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and that still marks my understanding of what it means to be poured out for the king. Amen. Powerful. Praise. Well, and, and both of those illustrations, uh, if you do have pastors listening to your podcast, and I'm sure you do, I, I hope they will hear the importance of the illustration. Yeah. Uh, I sit under different pastors from time to time that have wonderful information and wonderful exegesis and wonderful um, material about Old Testament, New Testament. But when they fail to share an illustration that that one of those or two of those have hung in your heart for yeah. 20 years uh, and corresponds with one of my colleagues in Memphis uh, from time to time, he will say, hey, do you remember when Herb shared such and such an illustration? Yeah. And it'll come right back to my mind. Right. And so that's that's so important for men to see pictures and to have illustrations. to hang things yes. on. Yeah. There, there are those spiritual truths that will go in one ear and out the other without a hook, without right. an illustration. Yeah. It, it's a window to the soul. Yeah. You know, I have another, uh, it was another learning point that's been valuable to me. Um, I did some door-to-door evangelism with you. That was something yeah. that we, we would do on various days. We'd go out into our neighborhood and just, just walk and knock on doors. And uh, I remember occasionally we would talk to someone and there would just be no interest there. there, there there's nothing. They, they you know, they might have been kind to us, but dismissive and, um, you know, make some observation. And I remember walking away from one. Uh, or maybe multiple ones, and you said, well, there's that's just your garden variety pagan right there. They don't even know what they're missing. And I've, you know, that sounds kind of, you know, comical or, or put off, but you know what? It has been important for me to look around and say, man, we have to expect pagans to act like pagans, and if they don't know Christ, then we can't expect them to behave like they do. Right. And so that um as crazy as it sounds has helped me have a measure of grace for folks who uh i think often we have an expectation to behave in a certain way but if they don't know the lord if they don't know um some of those things then we can't expect that of them and uh and and back in that day when we would go here hither thither and yon door to door uh, without getting shot yeah uh, was that was a good era good time Nowadays, we have to be more focused. Um, I, I had a neighbor move in. I chatted with him on the street. Uh, Easter was coming. I wanted him to go to church with me. But here in Florida, we all have these electric garage doors. And as soon as you get your car in, you turn your car off and shut your garage door. And I remember seeing him pull into his parking area. And so I said, I'm going to go invite him to church. I want him to go to church with me. And by the time I got across the street, his garage door was down. Yeah. It just it just made me sad. I wanted to talk to him. And so I turned around and came home. But the Lord laid on my heart. Yeah. You got to talk to him. Right. And so uh, people don't knock on doors. Neighbors don't bug neighbors uh, down here. But I went over there and we had the most wonderful exchange. He invited me into his home. He had a Christian background. He had not been involved in the church. I mean, within weeks, he was uh, more regular than some of our churchgoers. Wow. And uh, I was able to give him sermons that I had preached. Uh, yeah. He traveled a little bit in his work. And he'd just pop in a CD and listen to one of my sermons. And he was just thrilled to death to be somewhat discipled through my preaching 
uh, he was leasing the house and moved away, but we still stay in touch. But you have to be intentional. Well, you have to be intentional, and you have to go. Uh, I believe you have to go with uh, with bait. Yeah. Uh, nowadays we call it friendship evangelism. Right. You have to develop a bridge and build a friendship over that bridge. And sometimes it's cookies, sometimes it's cake, sometimes it's flowers, whatever the occasion might r- arise. And I've been doing that. Lynn and I did that with our neighbors around here, and it is open the door for us to share yeah. in our community. Um, we had, we had, uh, right as COVID was starting, we had probably 250 people uh, come into our church auditorium for a celebration of Lynn's life. Uh, the economy hadn't shut down yet, but we were just a couple of ways away from, a couple of weeks away from it. But I was, I was so surprised as to how many people in our community got up and spoke about Lynn's life. Right. And it, they, not, not from our knocking on the doors, but from her exhibiting and showing Christian love and sharing her love of others. Um, it's a different era, and we're going to have to be more intentional and precise in our approach and find those that we can uh, get the heart opened and then the bridge of friendship over that we can share the gospel. Boy, there's so much there because you and Lynn were a team. And, and yeah. as husbands and wives, we need to have our ministry among our friends that are, you know, my guy friends, Stacy's female friends. But then we can do so much together as a couple to invest in other couples. Um, as a matter of fact, Stacy just uh, reached out to to a neighbor. We're going to have some friends over to our fire pit on Saturday night and uh, and just kind of pour to this young couple that's got three three sons. And uh, so that's part of our story. So we, we get to love on another couple and, and have them over for a dinner. And so that hospitality is so important. Um, yes. I, I want to also go back to, you know, the garage door came down, but the spirit of the Lord was speaking to you in a way that you said, I, you could have either denied it or responded to it. Yeah. Yep. And I have, I haven't always been obedient, but I have stood at doors and knocked when I could feel my heart beating in my throat because <laughs> I was nervous about what am I going to say, what am I going to encounter, and that sort of thing. And and boy, if we remember, you know, I think about uh, Matthew ten nineteen has always been a, a, a helpful passage to me because Jesus is sending out the disciples and he says, but when they arrest you. Take no heed as to what you will say because the spirit speaking through you. And um, so sometimes I knock on a door or engage a conversation. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I think in our obedience, Christ gives us something that is what he wants to be said. And we're not sure where it came from sometimes. And doors are open and and relationships are kindled in that way. Well, as you mentioned, um, the importance of at least getting the door open and allowing him to give you the things to say, but we want to be equipped as possible. Yeah. Uh, you shared with me some years after master life um, studies, uh, you were drawing the disciples cross on the front of your dirty car yeah. uh, truck hood and explaining to somebody uh, if we're equipped, uh, the Lord will use those things even in a jumble sometimes of right. our minds uh, to get the point across. Yeah. Um, and, but to deny and say, no, I'm not going to, uh, one experience has goaded me to go on and go on and go on. 
it happened when uh, Lynn and I were relatively young in our marriage. I was a youth worker in Atlanta and went to a small gym at a motel in the Dunwoody area and witnessed to the manager, an older guy that had been a boxing coach and just a hard-headed, hard-hearted uh, gentleman. Anytime on the TV, something would come up uh, having to do with religion. He would just mock it. But I, I shared the gospel with Cairo was his name, Cairo Whitfield. And I shared with him several times, but he just always turned me off. And then we married, moved back to Memphis, started in ministry there. For one reason or another, I was in the Atlanta area. Lynn and I were visiting some family or friends, and I decided to go to that gym. And so it has a nice pool out in the back. And there was a little prompting. I need to go in there and talk to Cairo one more yeah. time. But it was sunny and nice. And uh, I said, no, uh, I'll just sit out here a few more minutes. And so 45 minutes later, I decided I'm going to go and talk to Cairo before we leave. And as I walked in, my friend that I had discipled, who is still a strong disciple up in the Atlanta area, was giving him CPR. And I watched Cairo Whitfield die. Wow. When 45 minutes before, I had been prompted to go in and witness again to Cairo. And that's that's. I hope nobody else ever has an experience like that. Mm. Cairo rejected the gospel. I know three solid times that I urged him to listen to the gospel. He rejected the gospel, but I'll always be haunted. Why didn't I go in 45 minutes before? Wow. So I hope no one else ever has that experience, but it motivates me. And I've got plenty to share. Yeah. I don't have to worry about not knowing what to say. Uh, we're prompted by the Holy Spirit, but we're prepared by our minds. Yeah. Uh, I think, as you mentioned, Master Life is a great body of material, others as well. Yeah. So just get get prepared and let God open the doors and go through the doors he opens and build bridges of friendship that lead to discipleship. Absolutely. So let me let me ask you about another thing that could be painful in the life of a disciple maker. Um, I think about uh, I don't have it pulled up in front of me right now, but at the end of Second Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy and um, he says, do your best to come to me soon for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Mm. And one of the things that I as I talk about pastors and and leaders folks who have invested their lives in men that were faithful at some point mm -hmm. most of us have a demas story mm -hmm. and um one of the questions i'm going to ask each of the guys that I, I i interview for this podcast in this series is tell us about your uh, a demas story you don't have to give us names but how do you deal with that and um you know, for some guys, the fear of having that happen keeps them paralyzed so that they don't invest in anyone. So yeah. um, give us some perspective on Demas. My most recent Demas was out of a pastorate here in Orlando. Um, very sad story. He came back to Christ after having gotten into a life of drug abuse. Yeah. He had been a Christian. And so when I started meeting with him one-on-one, -on -one, he was on the clean track, was doing very well, had moved up in his um, job position. Um, somehow, there was no specific crisis. There was no specific lure. 
But somehow over the period of uh, three years that I was around him, he was around me, he lost his momentum and just shut the door. Hmm. Um, I don't know why, but I did reach out to him sometime during that period of time, but he was not interested. He was just closed. Yeah. However, um, a year or so later, he reached out to me yeah. and invited me to help a church where he had begun to attend. And so I, I had all kinds of hope things were going to be better. Uh, and sure enough, again, he fell off the map and would not respond to phone calls. So, Mike, I don't know what to tell anybody uh, other than you'd never give up right. on Demas. Um, I mean, Timothy fell away from Paul, but boy, didn't Timothy come back with a roar. Yeah. Um, we never give up on them. We never know what's going on in their lives. Sometimes they'll share with us. Sometimes they won't. But we don't give up. We just keep reaching out in love. And of course, we personally will, in a way, judge them and recognize it's observation. We, right. we see that the fruit is not developing. But we can't be judgmental. We've always got to extend the hand of Christian brotherhood and hope for the best. You know, something that you said earlier captures my attention about uh, the personalities jiving. And um, this is where I think maybe the idea of having a network of other um, mature, godly men, because sometimes someone else can connect with yep. a guy that I, I don't have rapport with. And so um, we need to be networked with other men who have a like-minded calling to invest in guys. Um, Amen. And, and so there may be someone else that has a connection. I, you know, I think about this, even with my sons, there are things that I could say to them that they do not receive from me, but some other guy could say the exact same thing. That's coming with a different voice and they respond. And I, you know what? I celebrate that. I want them to hear from other men. And so we need to, um, that, that's part of us maintaining a network of faithful men that we can we can rally together in an army who's about multiplying disciples. Yes, and that's what the big group activity does. Yeah. It gives those of us that are uh, on the hunt uh, an opportunity to meet men, to mix with men, to find those that we click with. And um, it doesn't have to be a, a frequently. It doesn't have to be monthly breakfast at the, right. at the fellowship hall. But occasionally have the men together, have some small group activities around tables, let men click with each other. Uh, the last group that we had, there were just a couple of guys that I really clicked with. Uh, you just never know where you're going to find an opportunity like that. Right. But you have to create the atmosphere for it to take place. Yeah. Now, I talk to a lot of guys at churches who um, men's ministry leaders in particular who would say, we really feel like we need to do some sort of mentoring program. We need to get something started where we're connecting the generations. Um, and I find as I talk with guys that there are many seasoned men, guys who have got some miles on their tires that they want to be part of a relationship like that, where they're investing in younger men, perhaps, but they look back and they say, I've made so many mistakes in my life. I haven't done this the way, you know, my, my life's not a textbook for godly living. And I, I've, I, I don't feel qualified to do this. So what do you say to a guy who's got some gas in his tank? He's got some wisdom. 
Um, he's got some experience. He's walking with Christ personally, but is in some way inhibited from jumping in and becoming a disciple maker. Get that man into a curriculum, a curriculum he can handle, and then give him the confidence. Uh, what's happened to him? He's lost his confidence. Yeah. He, he's lost the momentum. Well, give him something that he can work with. I think the 2-7 is yeah. a, a beautiful illustrated it's got the material it's a bit, bit heavier uh, than say design for discipleship yeah um walter davis whom i mentioned earlier at open door bible church here baptist church in Orlando, uh, richmond uh, took a lot of people through two seven um through the years but he has found that it's just a little bit heavy but it's for the real disciple maker. But the design for discipleship, the seven little booklets and design for discipleship is very simple, hands-on, not real expensive and easy to master. So yeah. once you get a guy back on the track, give him something to go with, but you've got to give him that new mo motivation and give him something to w work with. He's got to have a tool. Yeah. Now yeah. let me, I, I, I'll get your opinion on this. One of the things that I will often do with young guys, because I, I deal with younger guys all the time who are, they're just like, what do I do? I've not seen spiritual leadership modeled well in my home. I recognize that I'm supposed to do something. So I will often take a book like Point Man by Steve Farrar. I don't know if you're familiar with that. And that's, yeah. not, that's not a discipleship curriculum, but boy, it opens some guys' eyes up to what it means to walk with Jesus, love their wives as Christ loved the church, lead their family and invest in them. And what happens with that is it scratches a particular itch that they're feeling and then sets us up for a next level series of conversations. So uh, what's your thought about a, a strategy or a tool of that nature? Well, Point Man's a great one. Um... I'm afraid some of the old materials that I used to use about being a godly man, yeah. probably not in print any longer, but that's the, that's the idea. Yeah. And in this day and age, I'm so grateful for so much stuff that's in audio format. Yeah. Right. A lot of these guys just don't read, but they drive 15, 20 hour commute each day. Yeah. And I've been, I've been giving audio tapes to right. guys, audio books to guys and the audio book, they listen to it. Then you can relate to it. You can talk about it. You can discuss it. I was really impressed with uh, Francis Chan when they right. put out Multiply. They put out the entire book on audio right. in little five-minute vignettes, ten-minute vignettes, and a guy could listen to it on the way to the meeting yeah. and then be prepared to talk about the book in, in the meeting. Uh, so I, I would say make it as easy. Find that, find that opening that the guy will accept. But yeah, you've got to build a foundation of godliness yeah. and probably nothing better in this day and age than point man. Yeah, and I, I think we have to start talking early about what it means to lead. That uh, I, I think sometimes we wait until the end and answer the question of what a guy should do next. And I'm encouraging folks all the time, as soon as you start walking with a man a little ways down the road, you start start laying some some vision out about what it means for now you have an opportunity a responsibility a stewardship to take what you've learned and invest it in someone else um and you said earlier you want to move with the movers so those guys who are ready to move forward it's uh finding those guys and running with them 
So, well, and you remember from Master Life in book two, there is a way to share your faith. Yeah, using your hands. Way to share. Yeah, and, and the homework that you give your disciple, uh, you know, it may just be something like, "Hey, this week I want you to pray with your wife." What? I've never yeah. prayed with my wife. Right, How right. do you pray? But just building the foundation of being a godly man, then giving him some handles. Uh, I had daughter had dinner with my daughter last night, and she's trying to build her little four-year-old uh, spiritually. And so as I was leaving, I said, well, let me pray with you. And my daughter, Holly, says, no, Cassia, uh, why don't you pray? Show Pop how you, you pray. And my goodness, here's a four-year-old that was not praying. Now I lay me down to sleep. Right. She was just blessing me and mommy and daddy and brother and all the teachers and praying for safety and oh, just amazing to hear a four-year-old. So if a four-year-old can pray, my goodness, can a guy pray? But most men don't pray with their wives, which yeah. is such a shame. And so I encourage guys to pray for their wives for a while. And then these wives want to be prayed with. They right. want to have a spiritual leader, then teach them how to pray with their wives. Yeah. If it's nothing else. That, yes, that's right. Wow. Well, listen, I'm watching the time, so I, I appreciate so much. Um, man, I, you guys didn't hear this, but before we started formally, I, I mentioned to Kerry that I've got uh, Tally Ho the Fox, a book that he recommended for me, and Aubrey Malfer's book, Nuts and Bol- Ministry Nuts and Bolts, I think is the title of it. And so Kerry Bates poured into my life years ago and made a difference. I'm not sure what what he saw or where that came from. I had been active in the church. I had been leading youth. I had led small groups. I'd done a lot of stuff, but I'd never had anyone come and say, I want to walk with you through a process of spiritual formation and, and true discipleship. Um, and so, folks, if you're listening to the Nobleman podcast or you've been to any of our events Part of the reason that that is happening is because this man invested in me uh, and my family. And so I am grateful for that. And and just uh, it's been transformational. So, Carrie, thank you for taking time to invest in me and to plant seeds that, um, you know, this morning during my quiet time, uh, I was I was reading Mark chapter four and it's the parable of the sower. And, and I, in my journal, I wrote, that, you know, some seed fell on the path, some seed fell in the rocky soil, some seed fell among thorns, and, and what happened with each of those. But the seed that fell in the good soil, um, mm. the harvest was multiplied, the fruit was multiplied. And so um, I, I don't think my, my life has always been good soil, um, but you dropped some seed into my life at a time when the soil was right. And uh, I am thankful for the fruit that has come from that. And uh, it's just been a blessing to me. So, Kerry, thanks for Praise your time and your witness today. Thank you, brother. God bless you. And let me just close by saying one more thing, if you if you got a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, mentoring has always been high on my list, not just disciple making. Yeah. But even when I was in seminary, I felt like I needed a mentor, uh, not one of the professors, not one of the guys, but I sought out a man in one of the Baptist agencies in the Memphis area, had written some books and I had met him 
and I, I, I went to be with him as often as I could just to be at, the, at his feet. It was maybe every other week or so, but just to have a mentor, yeah. a, a sounding board. Uh, when I was in seminary in preparation for our work in Portugal, I had a whole year there. I found a mentor. And uh, here in, in this stage of my life, I have a brother who's a, uh, a friend that is a graduate of a, a Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, who is a co-mentor, and a man that's a discipleship minister at my local church, a co-mentor. And these are guys, we need somebody uh, on our level, yeah. as well as looking for the disciple that we can invest in. We need somebody that we can be real with, and we can open up to, and we can ask questions of, and we can uh, confess to. Yeah. We need a confessor. We need a friend. And so we need need somebody. We need a Paul as well as needing a Timothy. Yeah. Amen. God bless you, brother. Thank you for joining us. Folks, uh, this is going to bring to conclusion episode 30 of the Noble Man podcast. And uh, next uh, next time we're going to speak to another discipler. I'm not sure who that's going to be. I've got a couple of uh, lines in the water to, to hook some guys to invite them to come and talk about decades of discipleship. And that's what Carrie Bates has done. So, Carrie, thank you for your time today. And uh, guys, be on the lookout for the Noble Man podcast episode 31 next week. God bless you.